We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, um, I mentioned in the prayer, um, and a little bit at the beginning of our service, but we're in this season of Advent, and um, it, it's interesting, um, the, our calendar year starts January 1st, but um, the church year, what we call the traditional lectionary church year, actually starts in Advent right, as we lead towards Christmas. And so it's kind of an interesting thing that happens, I think, collectively among us, maybe uh, around the world within Christendom. Um, we kind of start this new, this, this progression, right, uh, of, of and movement to some degree. Advent is going to, going to prepare our hearts for celebrating the birth of Jesus, but also his coming again someday. And if you're tracking along with all of this, and most of us maybe don't necessarily do that, we just just have, enough, have to have enough energy for Monday morning to get to work and back and those kind of things. But if you're kind of tracking throughout the year, we've, we've just started kind of that journey that's going to lead us to a high point we would call maybe at Christmas time, um, but then also bring us back around to, to Good Friday and Easter Sunday um, and, and kind of leads us in that church year all the way through uh, almost to the start of May. Um, and, and this is where we begin. And I would say, it, it maybe more so than any other time of year, we, we're going to kind of see that transition happen, right? Uh, we maybe feel it to some degree. Maybe even our seasons kind of lead us that way. Um, but our text today is going to do that as well. So if you're listening along to that text from Isaiah, um, within it, there, there's just all kinds of what feels to me like, like linguistic movement in there, Right? Um, literally changed. So Isaiah is prophesying. He's talking about uh, who is going to come. And over and over again, he's, he's kind of moving us from one thing to another, from one to the other. And you kind of get the motion and feel of that, even within the text from Isaiah that we, we read today. So not only is our text kind of moving you that way, but I would say even the church year and our celebration of Christmas and the new year that's coming up, all kinds of movement and transition. So I've got a question for you here today. I know some of you are, uh, um, uh, to some degree, world travelers and have traveled a little bit. Um, have any of you crossed the line? Now, I don't mean, have you been naughty? So if some of you, some of you are like, man, I, I, he probably knows. I should just put my hand up. Uh, I should probably just confess right here. I'm in church. Just give it up. Like, no, I don't mean being naughty, but um, have any of you ever, ever crossed the line in your travels or or done something called crossing the line in your travels? Even bigger than state to state, yeah. But yeah, so if, yeah, have you guys done that? Okay, so crossing the line technically is, is um, and some of you that have traveled extensively, some of you that maybe have been in the military, um, if you cross the equator, right, and I think generally on a ship or on a boat, right, I don't know, John, can you help me if you cross the line of the equator on an airplane, they don't, I don't think they have the same. These are Navy guys. They have their own traditions. Air Force guys don't. Anyway, um, but if you cross the equator on a ship, um, there is a ceremony, and they, they say that it goes back, tracking maybe four or 500 years, uh, um, that commemorates you crossing from, um, from one side to the other of the equator. So, so what would that, the northern hemisphere to the southern hemisphere, Okay. So if some of you have ever been on a cruise ship and your cruise took you further than just like the Caribbean, you may very well have crossed the equator. And if you cross the equator, um, there's an entire ceremony that goes along with 
crossing the line. So as I mentioned, um, they, this has kind of steep, steep history um, within sailors and within maritime history. Um, this was a depiction, this is probably de- about uh, three, four hundred years ago, of a ceremony uh, for sailors as they sailed across the equator, as they crossed the line. Okay? Um, now, um, over the years, it has become a little bit of an initiation, right? And actually, there were periods, I think, within that uh, where sometimes it, was, it, it had crossed over into like what we would call hazing and some of those kind of things. So um, you have a bunch of guys, sailors on a boat. It's probably not inconceivable that things go a little too far at times. So it has. But um, nowadays, this is a picture from about the 1960s of a, a crossing the line ceremony. Now, you're getting a little image of kind of some of the pageantry that goes along with this. Now, keep in mind, crossing the line ceremonies are not recognized by the U.S. Navy or officially. This is a, um, this is a ceremony that sailors themselves have kind of put in place and tend to run. So um, I think there's lots of, of revelry. I think there's lots of humor, uh, things like that. But if you have never crossed the line before, you are considered and called a tadpole. Okay, does that make some sense? And after you cross the line, you are then officially a shellback. I know it should be a frog, shouldn't it? But it's not. I don't know why I didn't make up this ceremony. So before you cross the line, you're a tadpole, right? You think tadpoles turn into frogs. After you cross the line, you're a shellback, so you're technically a turtle. So I don't know, seems to be a little inconsistency in their ceremony here, but um, again, this is kind of what it is. Um, And you can see a little bit of the pageantry there. Um, Nowadays, this is actually off of a cruise ship. So if any of you go on a cruise and you happen to cross the line, uh, cruise ships will will have highly orchestrated um, ceremonies for all of those who are going from tadpoles to shellbacks, right? Now, you can see a little bit there, um, um, they, 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 it kind of has all this idea of, if you see this guy in the white uh, beard and hair and robe, that is technically uh, King Neptune, right? The owner of the deep. So um, part of what it is, is that when you cross the line, um, Neptune is there. And on some level, they say Neptune sits as a judge to see whether you are, are worthy or not of going from tadpole to shellback, okay? Um, Like I said, this has lots and lots of kind of steep history around it. And some of it's not so great. Some of it's kind of just fun. Um, But that idea of, of, of that transition of going from one to the other, that idea of the movement from one thing to another, um, I don't think it's unique just necessarily to sailors, but I think um, for us as well, we understand um, that, that that transition at times changes us, okay? Um, how much different are you after you've crossed the equator? Not a whole lot. Maybe you could buy a patch um, and call yourself a shellback. Um, if, you, if you really are, ext- are a seasoned traveler, um, there you could be called a golden shellback. So a golden shellback is crossing the equator at the international dateline, that's somewhere in the Pacific for those of you that, and if you are really, really well-traveled, you could become a emerald shellback, which means you're crossing the equator and the prime meridian, which is just off the coast of Africa at the same time. Okay, so now you have some goals for your travel, right? You're thinking, yeah, yeah. For me, I, I can barely be on a boat without throwing up, so I'm not gonna have any of these patches, right? Um, 
But, uh, you know, the whole point of that is that we understand that there, there, there's travel, there's transition of life, and we're, our text today even talks about that, that idea of going from one thing to another. How does it change us? What does it lead us to do, and what does it leave us being? And, and really, that's what we want to look at this morning. Um, as Advent kind of gears us towards Christmas, when true God took on flesh in a manger in Bethlehem, um, our world would never be the same. Isaiah knew that was coming, and he actually prophesied about it in our text today. And so that's what we want to dig into. So the theme is simply, um, the king shall come. Um, but what we want to look at today is, is what kind of change does our king bring for us, right? Um, how did and does our God change us in our lives, and, and not only spiritually, but in our, in our Christian living? So... That's kind of where we're headed. Uh, if you want to, if you want to um, follow along a little bit, we're going to talk about um, that the king comes for change, with change, and to change us. Ultimately, those are kind of the three areas that we're going to we're going to walk through today. So, um, so our text, as I mentioned, is from the prophet Isaiah, and this builds a little bit on what uh, uh, on the sermon that we had last week from Pastor Burkholz. Uh, but we're in the Old Testament. Um, 600 years before Jesus would ever be the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah. So we are, we are with the prophet Isaiah. He was a prophet to the southern two tribes of Judah. So if you think about Israel, if you're, if you're spatial like I am, I like pictures and I like maps. Um, this is a pretty good representation of Israel and uh, um, the Jewish nation at that time. So you can see kind of a lot going on here. But generally, Assyria, at least at the start, was the world power at that time. Assyria had already conquered what we would call northern Israel. So the 10 northern tribes of Israel had already been, been conquered. They had been destroyed, carted off. They were no longer a nation. Um, but the southern two tribes, where Jerusalem was, um, were still an operating nation, at least for now. And so when, when Isaiah comes and he prophesies, or he's a prophet to the nation, um, it's to the southern two kingdoms. But as Pastor Burkholz talked about last week, um, it was a time of change and it was a time of transition. So early in Isaiah's ministry to Israel, uh, in many ways, people maybe didn't think anything was wrong, right? Jerusalem and the southern two tribes were still doing just fine, Right? You had jobs, you could put food on the table, life was somewhat okay. You knew it was tenuous because you had peace treaties with major superpowers like Egypt and Assyria and all over the place, and you knew you were a small country, right? Um, but generally, they were all kind of leaving you alone. You could, you could raise your family, you could, you could make some money, you could just go about your business, you could worship at the temple. All of these things were happening within Jewish culture at that time. That was the start of Isaiah's ministry, but it was quickly changing, right? So by the end of Isaiah's ministry, he is now prophesying to a people that um, heart, like difficulties was happening, right? So um, attacks, peace treaties were breaking down, eventually deportations would happen, and sooner or later, the southern two kingdoms would be completely conquered, everyone would be shipped off, uh, to Assyria and to Babylon, Babylon rather, for 70 years of captivity. So if you think of Isaiah's uh, um, ministry as a prophet or as a pastor, right? He had a congregation that at least at the start didn't see like there was a whole lot going on and not a lot of urgency. But by the end, life had changed. Life had become difficult. 
um, they suffered, they would be conquered, they would, be, they would truly know what it meant to be prisoners. And so Isaiah's text, and if you read through the 66 chapters of Isaiah, you're going to kind of feel that movement within his prophecy. Um, you'll feel that historic movement, but there's something even bigger going on in Isaiah. Um, Isaiah has often been called the Old Testament evangelist or uh, the gospel of the Old Testament because Isaiah points ahead to things that are to come for the nation of Israel. So we're talking Babylonian captivity, um, slavery, those kind of things, and eventual release from Babylon back to Israel to rebuild the temple and all those kind of things. So Isaiah is not only prophesying about those things to come, but clearly, and especially in our text here today, he's talking about something that is far bigger than, than what the, uh, the Israelites would encounter in their time in history. And so Isaiah not only prophesies what is in the immediate future for the Israelites, but he also prophesies what's in the future for us as believers as well. And so Isaiah um, fits beautifully with our text as we get closer and closer to Christmas. But it also fits beautifully because it points to something and a time that is still yet to come. So if we want to talk about movement and transition, Isaiah's got it there. Our text today has that as where, there as well. And I think we feel that in our lives as well, right? A certain uneasiness, a certain movement, a certain amount of transition as, as we feel the flow and sometimes even the culture seemingly shift underneath our feet. So Isaiah is who we're going to look at today. He's going to point us not only to Christ, but also to his coming again. So let's jump into our text. Uh, you're welcome to follow along with me if you'd like. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 3. Uh, and highlight a few, few things there. So it says this, Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Can you feel the movement? Right? Um, um, kind of back and forth, back and forth. And even this chapter 61 from Isaiah has back and forth. The early part here um, is we're talking, clearly not talking about Isaiah or you and I. But he's talking about someone else. We'll name who that someone else is next, right? Isaiah is actually going to respond in the second half of our chapter. Um, and then he directs his words directly to you and I as believers. But in the early going, we're just talking about um, what is the reality and what is yet to come. And as you heard me read this, you can kind of pick up on some of those words, right? Um, I tried highlighting them here. That the highlight's a little bit uh, uh, not quite light enough. But you pick out words, poor, brokenhearted, captives, darkness, prisoners, right? Those who mourn, those who grieve, ashes, right? Uh, um, and mourning and despair. Like you, you, you lay out all those words and, and on, uh, in large degree, that was the reality for those Israelites and increasingly so, as they felt the pain and the pressure of what it meant to live in a world that contained all of those things. Pain, suffering, they would literally know captivity and what it meant to be slaves in the not too distant future. 
The Israelites would know that through experience. But I think the truth is, I think we know that as well, don't we? I don't think it's very hard for us to see ourselves in the very same words that we see on the pages here, right? Um, within our lives. Uh, and maybe the holidays bring that out in us even more than any other time of year, right? But we think of mourning, lost loved ones, people that won't be with us as we celebrate Christmas this year, maybe for the very first time, right? Um, that, that idea of ashes, right? That you mourn the loss of a loved one, that you adorn yourself with ashes, right? Rather than joy and glory. We talk about despair, um, um, the, the feeling that what future do we have not only for us but for our kids or for your grandkids. Um, um, it's been said that um, maybe part of why a younger generation is holding off on having children is a little bit of that, right? Why would I want to bring new life into this world? Why would I want to have a child when all I see around me at every click of a button is pain, despair, wars, and suffering, right? And I think we can understand that, can't we? Because I think we feel it. And so I think in all of these words, as we read what the Israelites were enduring and going through, that was their reality, but I don't think that it's very far from our hearts as well. On any given Sunday, I think these are the things that are heavy on our hearts as well as we suffer with pain, chronic illness, maybe loss of a job, the uncertainty of what the future is going to be, be maybe relationships that are um, literally tearing at the seams between husbands and wives, parents, children, grandchildren. Um, we see the, the family celebrations that are meant to be filled with joy, increasingly filled with pain, anxiety, and stress. And so I think when we hear these words of the Israelites, I don't think we have to look very far to see and to feel the exact same thing within our own lives as well. Which is why Isaiah's words to us are so beautiful. Because he says there will be a time when those things are not true. Right? I picked out some of the words that are also contained within that text. Because Isaiah is bouncing us from one to the other, from one to the other. You want to talk about crossing over a transition or change, right? One to the other, one to the other. Um, he says, with all that pain and all that suffering, um, there will be good news for the poor, right? Um, that whoever is going to come is going to bind up, so going to heal the things that are broken, right? Freedom for those that are enslaved and are captive. Release from darkness, not just fumbling around in the dark, hoping that tomorrow is going to be okay, but, but actual light, seeing our path forward, right? The Lord's favor will be there. Vengeance, and you're thinking, oh, you messed that one up, Pastor. I think vengeance was supposed to be on like the negative side of things, but it really isn't. It, another word for vengeance is justice, isn't it? Right? That, that, those, that, that our God is a God that stands with those who are right and just, that he brings perfect justice, not flawed justice, not justice that is used as power play against other people, but perfect justice, right? That he stands against evil and pain and suffering and murder and all those things, and he will set things right, right? And so he brings that with him. He will comfort those who mourn. He will provide for us, right? And he will bestow on us, instead of ashes, it will be a crown of beauty. We will find joy and ultimately we will get to praise him. Those are all of the things that Isaiah points us to. Now, 
Do you have all those things in your life right now? Maybe pick out a few. And if you're anything like me, maybe you get a few moments of it, right? You get a, an hour? You get a perfect hour? Do you get a content hour? Do you get a content half an hour? Where things seem to be okay, right? Where you have food on the table and a job and family seems to not be arguing so much and things don't feel like they're completely falling apart every other second. Is it, you get a half hour of that, maybe an hour, right? But I think the truth is we would say, we'd like some more of that, right? Give us more, not a half an hour, not an hour, but how about, per, how about permanency, right? If you felt that way, I, I think the Israelites did as well, and it gives us a little insight into what Isaiah is talking about. So he's saying this change is going to come and we will see it in part. Sometimes we talk about um, um, a veil being cast over our world. We will see it in part, but there will come a day when we see it in perfection, right? And not just for a half an hour, an hour, but for all eternity. And so Isaiah is is prophesying for his Israelite people, but also for you and I and saying, um, there will come someone who is going to bring all of those things. And not just randomly and not just occasionally, but permanently, right? In eternity. That's ultimately where Isaiah is pointing us. If it's hard for us to see once in a while, you're not alone. Because the pain, suffering, grief, and mourning of our lives can narrow our vision down. Where There are days where I don't know that we can see it at all. And that's why this text from Isaiah opens our eyes to it. It says, do not lose sight of who the Messiah was is and will be again and what he brings with him. It's change in the, in the, in the best sense of the word. C.S. Lewis, some of you know, um, talked about that a little bit too and maybe you've heard this quote before, um, but that idea of, when, of, of looking ahead, we say, in, we may know now in part, but there will come a day when we know in full. C.S. Lewis says this, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promises. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these, earthly, for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of my life to press on to that other country and to help others do the same. I think the Israelites felt that way when they heard Isaiah's prophecy. I think there are days when we feel that same way as well. C.S. Lewis's and Isaiah's encouragement is that we press on towards the reality when all of those beautiful things, all of those changes are made permanent. But it raises the question, how or when does that actually happen? Who is this text talking about? Well, we get a little bit of insight into that 
Jump back to verse 1. It simply says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from the darkness for the prisoners. So who is Isaiah pointing towards? Well, certainly there will be a time when the Israelites are returned back home, but to someone that is far greater than that, right? It's someone that has been anointed and said, this is who you have been waiting for, and it's someone that has been sent. And who that is? That's ultimately our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the crossing of the line uh, ceremony, there's one portion of it uh, that is called sea baptism. And it's about what you can expect and what you can see on the screen here. Um, part of that ceremony is getting dunked or, or buckets of seawater splashed over the top of you, right? Now, it's fascinating why they do this. Uh, because part of this kind of history and ceremony is that um, when you cross over the equator, the god Neptune expects something from you. When you cross over the equator, you've got to pay the price. The payment is this sea baptism, right? Cold sea water. Uh, on certain Navy ships, they would, they would make their buddies jump into the ocean and just swim until they told them that they could come back aboard, Right? So all of, yeah, it sounds a little bit cruel, right? Um, but all of this was kind of this pagan uh, um, idea of like, you've got to give something to God, the God Neptune, in order for him to give something back to you. If you want to go from being a tadpole to a shellback, <laughs> you got to do something, right? Here's the amazing thing that we get to celebrate Advent and at Christmas time. We don't have a God that asks you to, to sacrifice for him. <clears throat> but you have a God that's sacrificed for you, right? We don't have a God that is wagging his finger at us, demanding that you do X, Y, Z, and if you do it just well enough or at least a little bit better than the guy next to you, then maybe I'll open up the pearly gates and let you, let you in. No, we have, you have a God who Isaiah is prophesying about who said, I know that they can't do it, and I know that in general, probably only, only mourning and brokenheartedness and pain is in store, so I'm going to go to them. I'll be born in a manger, live my life perfectly and sacrificially, lay down that life on the cross for you. So unlike the, the false pagan god Neptune, you don't need to pay your god anything. The payment was made in Jesus Christ on your behalf as he gave his life on the cross for you. That's the joy we have as we go towards Christmas. Right? It's not what we do or, who, or, or what we're about, but it's rather who Christ was and what he did on our behalf. So when Isaiah is talking about someone to come, it's nothing short of Jesus Christ. Our gospel text says the very same thing uh, that we read today. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, says, Finally, they said, Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, wonderfully again, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. What was John saying? The Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, and would eventually die on a cross for you, right? And if we didn't have enough evidence that this is exactly who it was, we have Jesus' own words for it in Luke chapter 4. 
Jesus going to the temple, reading the words from the prophet Isaiah says, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Do you know what portion of the Old Testament Jesus read and was quoting? Your text today, right? And so there is no doubt that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy and he did that on your behalf, right? A Messiah to come, born humbly in a manger that would die uh, um, on a cross sacrificially but ultimately rise again. And so all of the, the beautiful changes that God lays out in the early chapter of Isaiah are yours, not because we're such good, wonderful Christian boys and girls, but because of Christ, because of his birth, life, death, and resurrection on your behalf. And so Isaiah lays out changes, but those changes are motivated and empowered by nothing else than Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So then where does that leave us in our daily living? Until we get to that point, (laughs) until we enter that distant country that C.S. Lewis talked about, how do we live now? Isaiah's got a little bit more for us in in his text. I'm going to read for you verse 3 and verse 10. It says, They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. In verse 10, I delight greatly in the Lord, for my soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. And so who is Isaiah talking about here? You guys. He's talking about us, isn't he, right? Uh, He starts out with saying, this is the Messiah. This is what he's going to look like. This is the change he's going to bring. These are all things that are to come. And then he turns to us and to you. And he calls you oaks of righteousness to display God's splendor, right? And we are able to find joy because of Christ's righteousness that we are robed in. So what does that look like for us in our daily lives? Sometimes maybe that's a little bit harder for us to pinpoint, right? Uh, some of you have heard this quote before, a ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. Um, sometimes this has been actually applied to uh, our lives as believers, as Christians, or even Christian church in our world, right? A ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what a ship was built for, and the truth That very same truth is true of you and I as believers, right? Our lives are meant to display his splendor, his forgiveness, and the reason we celebrate this thing called Christmas is a Messiah that has come, right? And and so that is our our privilege to do um, in our lives. But how do we see ourselves? What kind of ship do you think you are? You're like, what in the world? I know. I think we kind of go, sometimes I think go a couple different ways. In a time of change when it feels as though things are shifting under our feet, what is our picture of ourselves individually or even us as a church um, in the culture and in the world around us? I think one of our temptations oftentimes is maybe to see ourselves as a destroyer, (laughs) right? Um, um, kind of knocking down any objection, um, a destroyer that is clearly uh, the biggest Uh, fish in the pond, clearly is in power, and if you don't agree with a destroyer, they'll make sure that you agree with them, right? Maybe that's our temptation, right, as believers this side of heaven, Um, that we are meant to be a destroyer, that we are meant to to kind of shoot down anyone or anything that maybe stands in our way or in 
God's way. Maybe that's one temptation. Or maybe this is what you feel like. Maybe we're just all on a cruise ship, right? Kind of floating along, oblivious. We know somebody's guiding this thing. It's probably like electronics. And we know there's probably waves outside somewhere, but I'm just hanging out by the pool drinking a margarita instead, right? And I think there's maybe some temptation for us to view our lives as that. I'm just going to coast along. Like, life is really, really hard out there, so I'm just going to try to stay in here, (laughs) right? Avoid confrontation, avoid confessing, avoid speaking of my Lord and Savior, avoid all of those things. I'm just going to bring it in tight, enjoy a Mai Tai, kick my legs up, wait for Jesus to return someday, right? I, I think there's a temptation for us to go either way. Either try to wrestle back earthly power or to simply sit back in apathy um, and wait for Jesus' return. But I've got a better picture for us in our lives and us as Christians. I think this is the ship that we're on. Now, you might be saying, I didn't sign up for that rafting trip. (laughs) Too bad, you did. The moment your heart was changed from darkness to light, the moment you came to faith in Christ, you signed up for this type of trip, right? You just did. Right? And nowhere within Scripture does God say it's going to be easy. In fact, he's got all kinds of words all over the place that says it's going to be remarkably hard. And if you've ever been on a rafting trip, everyone gets wet. Everyone. Everyone wears a helmet. You know why? Because it's a little bit dangerous. And occasionally, some of us are going to fall into the river. What do those that are still in the boat get to do? What's that? Laugh? Yeah, we will laugh a little bit. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, we'll laugh, but, but then, we'll try to, then we'll pull you back out. Then we'll pull you back out, right? Yeah. So I, I think this is a far better picture of our lives as believers um, is in a raft. Um, God nowhere says it's a cruise ship. And he also doesn't say we have to fight his battles on his behalf. We have to be faithful witnesses of who he is, the forgiveness that we know we have. But he's in, he's in power. He's in charge. He, his will will be done one way or another right? But I think this is a good picture of us. Um, This is actually a picture, um, the um, handsome mustachioed man in the back, he is the river guide. He also happens to be my nephew, Colton. So if any of you go up to Cody, Wyoming, you want to do some river rafting, look up Colton, ask for the Spiegelberg discount. They'll probably charge you more. So, um, because he's a Manchester. Um, But if you notice this whole trip, what does Colton do? Look at the smile on his face and back. Does he look worried at all? No. No. Because you want to know what a guide knows? He knows everything. He's been down the river like a hundred times. He knows every, every turn and every corner and he knows every boulder and he knows every, every rapid and he knows all of it. In fact, Colton, I asked him for this sermon. I said, give me some, some idea. And he said, oh, he said, um, the only variable on that entire raft, he said, are the people. He said, I know exactly what's coming. I know the entire river. If the people listen to me, there will be no problem. In fact, he said, I know who is going to get the most wet by what seat they take on the raft. So he said, I will intentionally put people that either I know they're a little more adventurous in certain spots because I know every single time we go around that corner, that spot gets dumped on or they get dumped out, right? And I think that's a beautiful picture for us as well. Because ultimately, our God is our guide in our Christian lives. Everyone will get wet. And guess what? Everyone works. Everyone paddles. No one gets to just sit there and drink a Mai Tai on a rafting trip. 
Everyone works, everyone gets wet. There's a little bit of danger. Some of us will get more wet than others and a few of us will maybe tumble in and we will pull them out. But through it all, our guide knows exactly where we're headed. Maybe it's calm waters, maybe it's class five rapids, but he knows where we're headed and he will be in the boat with us and he will guide us through it. I pray that that's some level of comfort as we live our Christian lives. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know if things are remarkably tough right now or if it feels like maybe you're in some smooth sailing. For those of you that are in tough spots, know that you're not alone, that you've got people sitting around you that are in um, very, very similar spots and you've got a guide that knows exactly where you're headed. If, if you're kind of in smooth sailing, I hate to break it to you, there will be some rapids. It's just part of it, right? But through it all, we are able to live this life, our lives as believers, floating, transitioning, changing, moving towards that distant country, ultimately where all of that joy, blessing, freedom is made permanent in eternity with our Lord and Savior. Amen.